0: Welcome to Impact AI, brought to you by Pixel Scientia Labs. I'm your host, Heather Couture. On this podcast, I interview innovators and entrepreneurs about building a mission-driven, machine-learning powered company. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to my newsletter to be notified about new episodes. Plus, follow the latest research in computer vision for people in planetary health. You can sign up at pixelscientiacom newsletter. Today, I'm joined by guest Sam Rusk, co-founder and chief AI officer of EnsoData to talk about optimizing sleep. Sam, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Heather. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: Sam, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to create EnsoData?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So actually, well, I'm a co-founder of EnsoData. We started the company out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So I did, we started it right out of our undergraduate and graduate studies. I guess as a background of me, I always had the entrepreneurial bug per se. I ran like a a lawn mowing business when I was in middle and high school. And so ended up studying electrical engineering at UW-Madison and was always interested in how, you know, the entrepreneurial aspect of how to apply engineering in business and, and what that meant. And so, yeah, I ended up kind of getting... Getting in touch with my co-founder, Chris Fernandez and, and Nick Clotard, and met them in classes like computers and medicine and medical imaging. So kind of at the confluence of B&B and EE and that's where we first learned about sleep and sleep medicine and how all these waveforms are being collected diagnostically and how that could be really a, a unique application for where we can apply machine learning in healthcare. So that was sort of the synthesis and how we, the Enzo Data story began.
0: So what does Enzo Data do and why is it important for healthcare?
1: Yeah, so nz uses AI as one of its primary tools to help automate waveform analysis and spotlight disease processes that they manifest over different timescales. So waveforms are collected all over the hospital and, and healthcare delivery system from sleep studies that we work with all the way to EKGs and cardiovascular monitoring and different kinds of neurological monitoring. So these waveforms are, you know, notoriously tricky signals. And that's where we use machine learning to help process these with generalizability and you know, trying to help both on diagnostic fronts to identify diseases, but also where these waveforms collected can help identify therapy opportunities. And I think that's where EntaData is helping to use AI to bring light to those areas.
0: So how do you use AI in this context? What kind of inputs and outputs and models do you train?
1: Yeah, sort of our cornerstone is in the physiologic waveform signals. So we use, you know, models like convolutional neural networks and LSTM models to process these one-dimensional time series signals, essentially. And so unlike images, you know, there's kind of a large scale of digital values in waveform signals. And so the kinds of noise and artifact can be very diverse. And so that's where ML helps us see through the noise for a lot of these kinds of signal types that are notoriously tricky. But yeah, we're using a lot of the standard kinds of ML models to take in these, you know, essentially time series signals that are collected overnight right now. Do you have a
0: couple of examples of maybe the exact things that you're trying to predict with these models?
1: Yeah. So as part of the the sleep medicine diagnostic pathway, essentially the current standard of care is to undergo an in-lab or a home sleep study. And as part of that home sleep study and in-lab testing, they'll collect pulse oximetry, which is the fingertip monitor. They'll collect breathing rate both through the flow and kind of the nasal pressure, but then also around the chest to understand the effort and in the breathing overnight. And there's also neurological signals. So electroencephalogram, EEG signals that are collected. So all of these are inputs that are collected diagnostically. And then from there, our software helps to analyze things like which stage of sleep you're in. So of the five stages of sleep, we have wake N1, N2, N3, and REM. Those are categorized by our product and usually by sleep clinicians. We also identify respiratory events and desaturation events where, you know, patients will stop breathing or they will desaturate over the night. If you know, there are also arousal and leg movement events, which are kind of explained. but when, you know, essentially when a patient will wake up, this part of the standard diagnostic process, they'll mark an arousal and then when a leg moves the same there. So there's kind of a host of different events, essentially what they're called in sleep medicine that our product helps to uh, detect.
0: And so in order to train models like these, you would have someone go through and annotate these different types of events. Is that how you base these models on?
1: Yeah, exactly. So we have, uh, you know, a large data set that we're always growing, collecting from partners. And as part of that, you know, we often receive these annotated data sets. And, you know, we also facilitate some of our own data annotation through our internal waveform viewing system. But as part of that, yeah, we're learning to validate and verify our models on data sets that are annotated, both from real world settings and also from more of a research setting as well.
0: What kinds of challenges do you encounter in, in working with and in particular training models on waveform data?
1: Yeah, there are, you know, as I said earlier, waveform physiologic signals are notoriously noisy, just with kind of an undefined level of, you know, variability that can happen. So a lot of the challenges that we do are kind of learning to generalize our models across different sensor types and different signal modalities. So that's where I think we spend a lot of time is, you know taking a look not at the overall performance, but sort of the outlier performance of what are the examples or what are the situations that give us the most challenge and how can we look to, you know, maybe have a lower overall performance if we can capture a lower variability on that performance. So I think that's where the waveform and these artifacts can offer a lot of challenges to making sure that you're not leaving a certain kind of data as an outlier for, you know, diagnostic performance
0: generalizability is a challenge in a lot of different application areas, whether it's from a different facility, a different patient population. How do you tackle that kind of challenge?
1: Yeah, we do a lot of verification and validation testing. So a lot of it is really continuing to expand and build upon the diversity of the data set that we're using for testing. And so historically, our strategy has ultimately been to you know validate and verify on you know, a subset of devices or different kinds of data that we have. And then as we collect more, we introduce those into our testing and try to understand performance. And if there are deviations, then we'll look to improve those. So it is sort of an iterative process for us right now. And I think ultimately we hope to use you know, more complex, more sophisticated generalizability and generalizable machine learning methods in the future. But yeah, it's sort of this process where there's all these new devices, there's all these new sources of data, and we have set up systems to help measure those over time. It sounds like a very
0: data-centric process. Are there any more model-centric approaches that you use to tackle generalizability, or is it mainly data-focused
1: at this point? That's a great question. I think it is very largely data driven on sort of an observability but we've implemented an experiment with many different kinds of generalizability approaches for the machine learning modeling you know using different kinds of bias losses so that as you train your models you're minimizing the loss over the different kinds of groups that you need to you know make sure that the models don't have deviation over so i think we've gone all the way down to the literal you know training process trying to tell the model when there is variability and i think that's you know, we've tried a lot of methods in line with that. I think we hope to continue to explore that as we see the future of machine learning. I think that, as it specifically applies to healthcare problems, is a huge important topic that people are talking about is generalizability. And specifically, what are the dimensions of generalizability? You know, across different you know gender, sex classifications, ages, areas in the country, areas in the world. So, I think that is a young area in machine learning and healthcare still.
0: You co-founded Enso Data nine years ago. How did you think about the role of machine learning in the earlier days, and perhaps how has it changed?
1: I think the methodology behind machine learning and deep learning has obviously evolved quite a bit over the last what's now seven or eight years of the end-to-data journey. I think interestingly, a lot of the problems that we're looking to tackle are still relatively similar to when we began when we started the company. Not that we don't understand them better or that they're you know more developed, but I think the rate of technological innovation on like the clinical side is a little slower than where it is, especially on a deep learning and more academic field. So a lot of the models that we're deploying are not necessarily the most cutting edge, you know, day-to-day for the machine learning world, but we're continuing to use the tools to help push the clinical adoption of these forward. And that is ultimately a big problem that we also face, you know, aside from just the core technology that we're building. So, yeah, I think machine learning itself has obviously come a long way, but we're still, you know, working on the same problems and we're five or six years in. So we've come a long way and I hope we can catch up to where a lot of the modern day, you know, papers and publications are.
0: How does your team plan and develop a new machine learning product or feature in particular? What are some of the early actions you take in this process?
1: Yeah. So as a company, we do our core product, EnzoSleep, is a software-only medical device. So as part of that, we operate with a quality management system, kind of fall under regulation with, you know, hosting and delivering a medical device. So as part of that, we have a pretty sophisticated feature and kind of roadmap process that we work with in our engineering. So basically starts with an idea that turns more into a defined project or feature. And then our development team picks it up and scopes it from there and then completes development and then we release it. So we kind of have a a pretty mature process for taking feature ideas and moving them from the top of the funnel and product management all the way to, you know, testing and releasing those. So that's something that we spent a lot of time on as a company, and I hope that we can continue to, to mature that as we see that it's a way for us to make and provide safe products that we can move with high velocity. But yeah, if we kind of have this really built out pipeline for uh, moving features into production.
0: Could you elaborate on some of that process? You know, what steps and, and which team members do they involve? You know, do they do a lot of research beforehand, or do they just dive into playing with data and machine learning?
1: Yeah, no, there's a lot of research. I think fundamentally it's in a few steps. The first step is the idea and sort of the definition step where product management plays a huge role. And I think that's an area of the company that we've built up over the last couple of years, more so than previous. And that's really, yeah, is this the right thing to build? Is this something that is important to our customers and will actually make a difference in our customers you know, day-to-day in their service that they provide to patients? So that's really majority of the hopefully filtering out of ideas and what what it is that we build on the long-term roadmap. And then from there, the next phase is what we call scoping, which is where we go try to understand on a technological level what that idea and what it would take to build this feature. And that is an important step so that we can help to, you know, plan and deliver our, our product roadmap on a long-term time scale in a sort of predictable manner. And then from scope, scoping, yeah, it moves into development and testing. And that's sort of the classic engineering processes of making something and then testing it appropriately. But those are sort of the pipeline for how we get in. And the cool thing that we do is I think anyone in our company can create an idea at the top of the phase. So anyone has the power to say, hey, you know, this might be a good thing that we want to give to our customers. And then from there, product management is able to take this big pool of ideas and ultimately get down to what's what the highest impact things we can do today.
0: How do you ensure that the technology your team develops will fit in with the clinical workflow and provide the right kind of assistance to doctors and to patients?
1: Yeah, I think, as I said, you know, the product manager is doing a lot of the early leg lifting, but, I, you know, we have, I believe, seven different RPSGTs, which is sort of the clinical sleep credential as a sleep clinician. So we have 17 members on our team that do a lot of the testing and really get into the product before we release it and help to give feedback and help to guide even at the very last stage So. We're continuing to build in that feedback loop, you know, of our internal clinician team and our, you know, close external stakeholders who are going to use the product, so that we can kind of release things and create a tight feedback to provide the best experience for our customers.
0: Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI-powered startups?
1: Yeah, I think there's still in healthcare. There's still a massive opportunity to build machine learning and AI-powered solutions that you know that can really change the game for healthcare delivery it can be difficult to find, you know, to set up an entire business model around a lot of these applications that are needed. And so I think being thoughtful about, you know, the economics of your business and how the go to market strategy and really sort of the business side, I think there's a lot of hype around AI, obviously, and, and there's definitely a lot of things to do in healthcare. But, you know, we spend a lot of our time solving not necessarily the machine learning performance side of the problem, but more of how do we get this into the clinician's hands in a way that makes sense for everyone. So I think that's where... There's still just a lot of, you know, barriers to getting new ML and AI solutions into into healthcare on the front lines right now. So that's where I would probably recommend the most is to focus on the entire process of what it means to deliver AI in healthcare and in other fields as well. And
0: finally, where do you see the impact of data in three to five years?
1: Yeah, our vision is to continue to bridge the gap between diagnostic and therapeutic pathways. You know, especially in sleep, there's pretty significant fragmentation between, you know, when a patient shows up to get tested for a condition and how they're treated and their long-term management. So, you know, we hope to use machine learning for every single step in that process, you know from the start to diagnose and then to help patients find the right therapy that's most effective for them. And then ultimately to help manage that if it's a you know, long-term kind of therapy. So our vision is to continue to grow the gap. We want to be research leaders in machine learning. So while we want to deliver products that change the game, we invest heavily into research and we are active in the community publishing and you know engaging in the research community and sleep. So I think I hope to continue to see that part of our company grow is, I think there's, you know, we're just kind of scratching the surface for ultimately machine learning and these kind of waveform and other data can do to improve patient outcomes.
0: This has been great, Sam. I appreciate your insights today. I think this will be valuable to many listeners. Where can people find out more about you online?
1: EnzoData.com. You can check us out there. We've got a ton of different content, both educational and about what we do and our in our vision. So that's where.
0: Perfect. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun to talk about our company.
0: All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI. Thank you for listening to Impact AI. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you'd like to learn more about computer vision applications for people and planetary health, you can sign up for my newsletter at pixelscientiacom slash newsletter.